Hey guys, welcome. Thanks for listening. This week we're going to cover a case, and we'll just get right to it. Uh, a case that uh, took place in the late 70s in East Tennessee. This is the case of Nicholas Todd Nicky Sutton. Nicholas Todd Nicky Sutton had killed three people and disposed of their bodies before he was old enough to even buy beer. He beat to death his high school friend, shot dead a man he described as a drug kingpin, and threw his own grandmother into a river to drown. But he didn't get a death sentence until he fatally stabbed a convicted child rapist in prison. Sutton was 18 years old when he embarked on the killing spree that shocked his community, seized the media's attention, and left East Tennesseans wondering just what he was capable of. The teen went on to relish the spotlight as he led detectives from two states on searches for the corpses of people who never really existed. Four decades later, Sutton is set to die February 20th of this year. His long and tangled story may come to an end quickly in a sparse room with bright lights in Tennessee's electric chair. If you don't execute Nikki Sutton, then why have the death penalty? Said Martin Coffey, a former Hamlin County Sheriff's Office detective who worked the case from the start. If you don't execute him, who do you execute? He brutally murdered four people, and they're not all from the drug industry. His grandmother raised him, and yet he put her in a watery grave. This is The Weekly Podcast. Nicholas Todd Nicky Sutton is set to be put to death by the electric chair February the 20th of this year in the state of Tennessee. His crime goes back to 1979 and it's not an isolated incident. Around August of 1979, he is seen leaving his best friend's apartment in Knoxville, John Large. John Large had not been married that long, maybe a month, and just moved to Knoxville with his wife. Now, Large fell in with Sutton during their days at the Morristown Hamlet High School East, and he just looked up to him, thought the world of him. That was the last time anyone would see John Large. October 1979, a bankrupt contractor out of Knoxville whose vehicle was seen in Nicholas Todd Sutton's possession sometime before, right before he'd went missing, was also gone. So in August of 79, October of 79, we've got two gentlemen 
that were last seen in some form or fashion in contact with Nicholas, Todd, Nikki Sutton, and they're just gone. Mr. Large's family wanted answers. They reached out. They knew that he'd left with, was last seen with, with Nikki Sutton. So they reached out to his grandmother, whom had raised Nikki, wanting to know what Nikki knew, what the deal, what was going on, where their son was. They were frantic. They were frantic. Well, the grandmother, obviously, from October to December, or from August of 79, to sometime around the end of December, had figured out that her grandson had killed two people. And what that gets her... beaten with a stick of firewood wrapped in a blanket and trash bags wrapped in a chain tied to a cinder block and thrown in the ice cold Nolachucky River to where when her body was found seven miles away from her home several days later and the autopsy performed he had noted that the cause of death was drowning and what causes someone to not only murder their friend an acquaintance I think it takes a different person to murder their grandmother. We'll be right back. was born July 15, 1961 to a mother who abandoned him in infancy and a father who was mentally ill violent and verbally abusive when the father wasn't being held in jails or mental institutions Sutton's attorneys say he abused drugs and alcohol and taught his son to do the same he also lashed out with beatings after Sutton's father died suddenly when Nicky was just a teen his widowed grandmother adopted him. Dorothy Sutton taught third grade at John Hay Elementary School in Morristown, Tennessee and had a home in Hamblin County's lowland community. She's a very sweet lady, very kind, amazing teacher. The community absolutely loved this woman. Of course, Nikki Sutton began using drugs at a young age and continued that process through adolescence he picked fights he was just troubled in school and then he dropped out 
It's claimed that he had a serious cocaine addiction, which a lot of the prosecutors and detectives say that has that, that has uh, basically all the motive involved in, in this case. I'm not sure. But I think it could be a mixture of many things. You know, his grandmother, she lavished him with gifts, bought him new trucks, bought him land. And he'd turn around and sell them for cash. Then in December of 1979, Sutton showed up to his family's annual Christmas Eve dinner without his grandmother. The 18-year-old came with scratches on his face and an armful of presents that she had wrapped. He insisted she would make the drive from Morristown to Knoxville after dark before claiming... She had left the house on a date and never returned. Now, neither one of these stories sounded anything like Dorothy Sutton, and her two daughters started to suspect their nephew. They reported her missing after she didn't show up on Christmas Day. So what we've got here is August of 79, John Large goes missing from his apartment in Knoxville, Charles Amon, his vehicle was found abandoned in a Newport motel, and there was reports of Nicholas Sutton being connected to that gold Jaguar. Now, him, Nicholas Sutton facing, Nicholas or Nicky Sutton facing questions for detectives who had found bloodstains in the carpet at his grandmother's house, and of course then he's, Mr. Sutton's told one tale, then another, then another, and, and basically, investigators ultimately concluded that the teen had knocked his 58-year-old grandmother unconscious with a stick of firewood, wrapped her in a blanket and trash bags, chained her to a cinder block, and threw her alive from Hales Bridge into the Nolichucky River. After searchers had pulled her body from the icy waters on December 29th, the autopsy found that she had drowned in the river some seven miles from her home. The retired school teacher might have made the mistake of telling her grandson no when he asked for money, and she also may have found out he had already killed John Large, his friend from high school, who had been missing for four months, and Charles Amon, a bankrupt contractor whose gold Jaguar turned up abandoned at a Newport hotel. Now, it didn't take long to gather the evidence to charged Nicholas Sutton with his grandmother's murder. Now, at his murder trial, he decides to take the stand and and stun the jury when he claimed that Large, John Large, 19 at the time, had pulled their cash with Almond, Charles Almond, 46, in a bid to buy $75,000 worth of cocaine. But Large disappeared with the money, he said, and Almond soon began demanding payment from Sutton. In Sutton's telling, he returned home December 22nd to discover his grandmother lying bloodied on the living room floor, and then suddenly Almond had struck him from behind and began tearing at his face before Sutton managed to grab the man's gun and fatally shoot him. Then Sutton said he wrapped up the bodies of Almond and his grandmother and, after a quick prayer, threw them both in the Nolichucky River. One of the 
detective said he went through quite a story, which basically didn't, it turned out to not to be true at all. And, of course, the jurors didn't buy it either. They convicted Nicky Sutton of first-degree murder for his grandmother's killing, and he was sentenced to life in prison. One of the detectives that was working the case, young, inexperienced, was uh, allied by the knowledge of Charles Long, which was the chief deputy of Hamlin County Sheriff's Office at the time, would later become sheriff for many years. And uh, an agent with the TBI, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, now, Sheriff Long, in particular, developed a special relationship with young Nicky Sutton. The teen had seemed to look up to the seasoned investigator, who served as a kind of father figure. It was Long that Sutton uttered most of his confessions and stories that turned out to be a mixture of reality, half-truths, and elaborate fabrications. Nicky was well-mannered, a very polite young man. He was somebody who, had you met him out on the street, you might think he was a pleasant young man to talk to. However, when you got to know him and be around him, you began to realize there was a very cold side to Nicky. The detective saw that side of Sutton when the teen struck a deal after his trial to lead detective straight to John Large's body, the man that had been missing since August of 79. He was buried on land owned by Sutton's aunt in Waterville, North Carolina. He made this plea to avoid the death sentence. Now, as the detectives found the body of Mr. Large, Sutton said, you're going to see he's got a tobacco stick sticking out of his mouth. Who went on to search, went on every search this detective did that Sutton led. He said he... uh, He was where he had rammed the tobacco stick back through his mouth and up into his skull. Of course, one of his attorneys ran over, grabbed him by the arm, swung him around and said, Don't speak until uh, I tell you to speak again. And Nicky Sutton said something like, What? We've got a deal. And detectives say in that moment he acted like he could have been eating a sandwich. It didn't mean anything to him that he had done this to his friend. And when it came to Charles Almond, Sutton told only part of the truth. Authorities realized that they had wasted weeks dragging the Nolichucky River in search of Almond's body when investigators working on an unrelated homicide in neighboring Cock County found the body by accident in a flooded rock quarry. Almond's body, like that of Dorothy Sutton, had been wrapped up with chains, weighted with a cinder block, and dropped into the water. Detectives kind of gave that a a signature method to Sutton, but that was, from what I've read, the only two that were like that. Of course, Sutton thought, he told the detectives, he said, I never thought you'd find it, and said that God must have willed it that it would be, they would find the body. Long told the new Sentinel in May of 1980. I asked him if there were any more, Long said. Sutton claimed that there were, he claimed he'd killed two more people and gave confessions complete with names, ages, location of the body, 
Authorities took Sutton from his jail to his aunt's property in North Carolina in a soybean field in East Tennessee. But once there, he seemed to come down with a case of amnesia. Investigators employed forensic experts and com- contemplated uses hi- using hypnosis, polygraph tests, and so-called truth serum. But in the end, there was no evidence that the victims existed and determined that he was just, he had a vivid imagination. They believe Sutton enjoyed the notoriety and the media attention that came with what he was dealing with at the time. But you know, these three murders didn't get Nikki Sutton the death penalty. It wasn't until five years later in 85 that that would happen. So now he's got two life sentences. And he's made a deal. He's found guilty of killing his grandmother. He's made a plea deal to keep the death penalty away on John Large and Charles Almond. And now Nicky Sutton is hauled off to prison to start serving his life sentence. We'll be right back. So at this point, Nikki Sutton's got life in prison, basically. Sutton hadn't uh, served five years in prison when he and another inmate stabbed Carl Estep, a convicted child rapist from Knoxville, to death in a cell at Morgan County Regional Correctional Facility on January the 15th, 1985. So see, prosecutors didn't seek the death penalty for Sutton and his grandmother's killing and he received two more life sentences when he pleaded guilty in 1981 to killing Laura Jen Allman at his aunt's home in North Carolina. When he started serving his time at Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary before being transferred to Morgan County Regional Correctional Facility. And we all know state prisons are just terrible with violence. But he, uh, Sutton hadn't served the five years when an inmate saw him and another man go into the cell of Carl Estep. Estep was convicted of raping a nine-year-old Knoxville girl while the jailer assigned to the area was away. That's when Sutton made his move. Now, as Estep's roommate left their cell, someone turned up the volume of the TV or radio Begin to stab at him. Corrections officer found Estep bleeding in his bunk where he died of 38 stab wounds January the 15th, 1985. They say Sutton and Estep had been in a dispute over drugs and Estep said he had a knife and would kill Sutton. And searches of Estep's cell after he was killed turned up two homemade knives laying in the bunk and a third hidden under a lamp. Now, of course, they know I don't 
I'm not sure why, I mean, this gentleman was in general population. I would, I don't know why, because raping a nine-year-old Knoxville girl, I'm not sure that they didn't have that set that up. I mean, that, that was bound to happen, and guards had to know that. Child molesters do not make it. It's just a fact. It's just, it's just a fact. They will get stabbed 38 times in the heart and try to cut their heart out. That's what happened. Now Sutton, he ended up being charged with murder alongside two other inmates. One of them, who was acquitted, while the other received a life sentence and is now out on parole. But through all this... It is the murder of Carl Eastep, a convicted child rapist, that gets Nikki Sutton the death penalty. If Sutton is executed as scheduled, he'll be the only inmate in Tennessee to ever be executed for the death of another inmate. By no means. Am I justifying murder? But if the killing of his grandmother got him 30 years, and the killing of John Large and Charles Almond got him life, they found that this murder of Estep in prison in a hostile environment where if you've never been there you know sometimes that if you just don't do something that you're told can get you killed this gets him the death penalty you can agree with the death penalty you can disagree with the death penalty that's not the point point is, my question is, he is the only inmate, if he's executed scheduled, he's the only inmate to be, he's not being executed for killing his grandmother, for killing Large, for killing Almond, he's being executed for killing Carl Eastep, and I'm, I'm not condoning murder by no means. And I'm assuming that according to records that the jury took into consideration his background I guess killing his grandmother John Large and Charles Almond did play a factor into them giving him the death penalty this isn't a death penalty debate disagree, agree that's not going to be my argument these were obviously very heinous and terrible crimes that this man committed. Is there redemption? Is there forgiveness? Can a man change? Can a man change his life? I'm obviously not saying that a man should be released. Coming up in the next segment, I'm going to go through a story that 
kind of surprised me really because all my life I'd always Nikki Sutton was like a some kind of phantom I mean just his crimes that were just you couldn't really wrap your your head head around it in a small community like Hamlin County well there's eight prison guards seven, seven or eight prison guards and the daughter of one of his victims that say clemency for Sutton when we come back I'll tell you why this story I really just wanted to state the facts as they were given in testimony with with the trial and everything that's come about not having an opinion one way or the other because I know you have victims that were killed and family members that have hurt all these years and you also have the family of the accused and the guilty and they are hurt and tormented by this for many years. So, I mean, obviously I just want to try to to let this story be told, not trying to give any notoriety to anyone, but just basically the fact that this month is, on the 20th of this month, he is set for execution. And I think that telling the story is relevant. But this story here, kind of surprised me of not really because there's not a great deal on this case I think this case was fairly I mean there wasn't a great deal of investigation that had to go into it as far as I mean long and drawn out he had done most of the confessing to to the other other crimes and thank God he did but this story was uh published this year, January, and the title of the story is Death Row Inmate Nick Sutton Saved My Life, Governor Lee Should Save His. Now, the story reads, while I was serving as a guard at the Tennessee State Prison known as The Walls, I endured every prison staffer's greatest fear, a prison riot. A group of five inmates surrounded me with knives and other weapons and attempted to take me hostage. It is my belief at least one of these men intended to seriously harm, if not kill me. I was in extreme danger. I could have lost my life. Inmate Nick Sutton confronted the men and escorted me to safety. He placed my safety and well-being above his own. It says that I worked for the Tennessee Department of Corrections from 1981 until 2011, and in that time, I never met any inmate more worthy of clemency than Sutton. That's why I joined six other current and former Tennessee correction professionals in asking Governor Bill Lee to grant Sutton's clemency petition. If the governor does not grant clemency to Sutton, 
He will be put to death on February 20th, 2020. It says, I have never expressed support for clemency to a governor for any inmate before. The support of seven correction professionals doing so in his case is extraordinary. But the thing you have to understand about Nick Sutton is that he is not like any other inmate. Sutton helped me at great personal risk to himself. Incredibly, I am not the only Tennessee correction professional who owes their life to Sutton. In fact, he has intervened on behalf of two other correction staffers, staffers who could have been killed without his help. Sheriff's deputy Howard Farrell was attempting to break up a fight between two prisoners when Sutton prevented an inmate from attacking Farrell from behind. As the blow was about to land on the back of Farrell's head from a push broom, Sutton protected him. Cheryl Donaldson, serving as the manager of Unit 2, Tennessee's death row at Riverbend Prison, when she fell and became unconscious, with no colleagues around to protect her, Donaldson believes another inmate might have assaulted her or caused a security breach if Sutton had not rapidly responded to protect her and get help. These situations are why former correction commissioner and prison warden James A. Aiken says, Mr. Sutton has clearly demonstrated that he would step in to save correction staff. Mr. Sutton's behavior demonstrates that he values the lives of those around him and that he will take extraordinary steps in assisting others. Says in my 30 years in correction, Sutton is the most rehabilitated inmate I have ever known. I worked with him at two prisons over decades, and I have seen his faith, remorse, and character grow. He is not the same man at age 58 that he was at age 18 and age 23, for which he committed the crime, for which he was sentenced to death. The daughter of the victim of that crime also wants Sutton to receive clemency instead of facing execution for the tragic death of her father. Simply put, the prison will be safer with Sutton serving life than it would be if he is executed. It is in the best interest of correction professionals to keep him incarcerated where he helps staff and inmates alike and makes the prison a better place. It is in my opinion that Sutton, more than anyone else on Tennessee's death row, deserves to live. I pray that when Lee reviews the facts in this case, he will agree. Another guard had stated that he would have no problem with Nick Sutton being his neighbor. Now, is there, is there change? Can someone be rehabilitated? Can someone change? This man has spent most of his life locked up. He basically was incarcerated at 18. He's 58. Been on death row for 33 some odd, 33 years, I believe. It's a long time to be on death row. These are just the facts. Whether you believe that someone needs to cram a needle in his arm or put him in the electric chair and kill him for what he done, 
Okay, I can see that. If someone believes that this man is, has changed and he deserves a clemency, okay. If you think the death penalty is crap and it shouldn't even be, we should abolish the death penalty, okay. All I'm trying to do is to shed a little awareness on the story because February the 20th, 2020, Nicholas Todd Sutton will either be executed, he'll be given a stay, or the governor of Tennessee may grant him clemency. This is the weekly podcast.